You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. Today we wanted to focus on the flying fox, which is... I mean, they're all cool, but this one's really cool. Yeah, and you definitely are going to want to stick with us because... What can they teach us? Interestingly enough, they are generally smart. Okay, that's just... I'll just... Generally, they exhibit curiosity to novel items. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Big trouble, and I think if we let a lot of bat species go extinct, we're going to be in big trouble. And I just looked at... Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. All right, welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Angie. Hello again from New Zealand, Angie. Hello again <laughs> from Florida, Chris. <laughs> yeah, I haven't given up yet. I haven't, I haven't gotten back on the boat to uh, paddle home. Hey, this is Chris. I'm just going to interrupt real quick. So this was an episode that got lost in transition when we moved the podcast, uh, you know, as we continued to grow. And we felt that we needed to move to a, a more robust podcast hosting service. So we moved over to Podbean. It's been wonderful. It's a wonderful service. Uh, you know, I highly recommend their app if you're looking for a good podcasting app. And we're on there. So this one apparently didn't make it in transition. And we, you know, Chantel uh, from down in Australia met, messaged us on Instagram about a month ago and said, Hey, where's the flying fox episode? And we were like, Oh yeah. Okay. So a couple episodes did end up getting lost that we were able to to put back on there. This one has just been sitting there and we're finally going to release it here on New Year's heading into 2020 because I'm traveling overseas and Angie's traveling in the United States. So just, we got really busy, you know, conducting interviews and we just couldn't have time to bank an episode and thought it would be perfect to re-release one of our early ones. This was, this was pretty early. Uh, I had just uh, been living in New Zealand for a little bit, and now if you listen to the podcast, you know I'm back home in the United States. But we just thought we would re-release it now, and it's 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 a good one. It's a good one. Episode it was episode 16, I believe, at the time. So we were just hitting our stride, and you know you can kind of uh, if you haven't heard it before, you can listen to it and kind of see how we've grown. Uh, over the years, this was, oh man, this was two years ago almost, uh, you know, uh, 18 months ago that we released this one. So this was the first bat species that we did. And we did do vampire bats for Halloween in 2018, I believe that was. So, and we definitely will, will do more bat species. They're just, they're just amazing. The flying fox is incredible. So we really hope you enjoy this episode, and next week we will be back with a new species, one that you haven't heard before. So take care, and Happy New Year, Happy 2020, and enjoy. Today, we are going to talk about a species that, honestly, Angie, I have just been, wow, I didn't realize how bad it was, and it's really gotten me nervous, and I'm glad we're covering it, and that's bats. And specifically the flying fox. Yes, Chris. I've been wanting to cover bats since we started the podcast. Uh, besides their amazing physiology, right? They're, they're flying mammals. They're the only, right. bats are the only mammals naturally capable of true sustained flight, unlike squirrels mm-hmm. that can glide. So 
the physiology is just radical. Uh, and, uh, and that's mm-hmm. not a word I use often because I'm not from Cal, yeah, I'm not yeah. from California. So, yeah. but besides the physio- physiology, their conservation issues that they face, um, and some diseases uh, are just really interesting. I know a lot of our listeners that are animal lovers out there are going to learn a lot on this episode. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're hopefully like you and I, they're going to be moved because it seems like you are extremely moved hearing about their conservation issues and some of the crisis right. that they're facing. And I had known a lot about that, but re- as I was reading it, 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 it did make me kind of hold back the tears a little bit. But then on the brighter note is their physiology is so cool that I know we're going to inspire some people to want to help these guys out, want to learn more about them. And the neat thing about pets is they're found everywhere. Right? Right. Besides like, right. yeah, pretty much the Arctic and Antarctic. I mean, so anybody right. listening to this anywhere in the world has a local bat species that's endemic to the area that they can learn more about how to help conserve them and learn more about their physiology. Right. And we're going to talk about that today. And especially once we get uh, later in the podcast and I'll kind of talk a little bit about what's going on here in New Zealand, but just the conservation issues because bats are so critical to the environment and reading some of this data, I just didn't realize how bad it was for them. I knew certain species were, I didn't realize like almost all of them were endangered. So, so we'll get there. Uh, but today we wanted to focus on the flying fox, which is, pro- I mean, they're all cool, but this one's really cool. Yeah. And you definitely are going to want to stick with us because Chris is going to cover some cool physiological facts being how the heck they can hang upside down and I know not it, pass not, out. So, yeah. so be patient and, and you'll get to hear that. And there's tons of other really fun Interesting facts that I learned and that hopefully uh, you all be learning today too. Right, right. So the flying foxes the are actually the largest bat in the world. And they're actually – some people may know them as fruit bats. I mean today I'm going to just call them flying foxes. But some people do just say, hey, they're, they're fruit bats because obviously, duh, that's what they eat. And we'll get to that in nutrition. The There are many – there are over 1,200 species of bats – but specifically in flying foxes, there is 65, mm-hmm. which is huge. Yeah. It's a huge different, you know, species. Many of them spread throughout, as you'll hear in their habitat here in a minute, spread on different islands throughout the Pacific, South, you know, Southeast Asia, you know, and then stretching all the way to Africa. Yeah. It's considered, uh, the old world tropics. I know we've covered right. that a little bit yeah. in primates as far as new world being South and Central America and old world being uh, mostly Asia right. and some of Indonesia. Hey, you're in the new world too. Don't forget Florida. <laughs> that's right. That's true. That's <laughs> so true. North America. Yeah. Yeah. So but these bats are from the order Teropus, which is uh, the order of flying foxes. Now, just quickly in the beginning, I always, again, like to give a description the most people I think have an idea of what a bat looks like, or at least a vampire, right? I mean, from myths and legends and stuff. So this is a mammal, as Angie said, and they actually have two arms and legs. It's just the arms and their legs are attached to wings, which is just amazing. I mean, it's, it's amazing how these animals, mammals fly. And even more specifically, it's actually their fingers that are yeah. the elongated bones that actually are the wings. Part. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually right in on my computer screen. I have a picture of a flying fox with the sunlight and I'll, and I'll put this one up on the show notes for sure. And you can see the finger bones. It's, it's in the, you know, the blood vessels that, that keep that skin healthy. 
But yeah, I'm just looking at this thing going, wow, it's, it's an amazing creature. It's a really interesting adaptation. I had a cousin that had webbing between his feet and I always thought that was so cool because he could like <laughs> swim better. And I, you know, this is just a glorified version of evolution at its finest where they just started becoming more success, the more successful, the longer these finger digits grew and the more they were able to fly. And there's a lot of, uh, researchers that have different hypotheses of why, of why right. that would be a good evolutionary strategy. And, um, and that goes along too with them being nocturnal that flying yeah. helps them obviously move and find food a lot faster and get away from predators. And then being at night, hunting at nighttime, they are, have less competition, right? Nobody, nobody should, right. nothing good happens past 2 a.m. That's what I think a song no. says yeah. or my mom used yeah. to say or something. Yeah, mom says, mm-hmm. yeah. And, but for bats, it's the opposite. That's, there's nobody out. Yeah. So it, it really, uh, the nighttime is where they really thrive. Right, right. And, uh, and I think that leads into some of the myths of being scary and whatnot. But really quick, I didn't know Michael Phelps was your cousin. I known you for a long time. <laughs> I wish. Right? I, mean, I wish I had those yeah. swimming jeans in my family. Man, I, I was on the swim team and I was, uh, not the fastest, but I was yeah. most improved and I was a team captain. So they said I, they, I had a lot of heart and very little skill. <laughs> I think was, <laughs> I think was the consensus after a few years. Uh, but yeah, yeah, so I was, I was a distance swimmer, so not a sprinter like Michael Phelps. And my cousin never swam yeah. <laughs> with the, with those uh, web toes, and so um, uh, missed opportunities. I know, I know. Uh, but Chris, you know what's really fascinating for the viewers out there that ha- uh, haven't gone to the show notes to see a flying fox is that it really is quite cute. And one of the reasons it's called a flying fox or fruit bat, but flying fox is because mm-hmm. its face looks like a fox, which is yeah, pretty adorable. Yeah. And I was reading last night that some people describe it, put your seatbelt on, uh, yeah. as a flying German shepherd puppy. Like, <laughs> like the face is so cute. Yeah. Uh, that is like perfect description. Sure. And that's why for, for doing bats, they're kind of a fun species of bat to start with. Hopefully throughout in the next so many years, you and I will cover many different bats. For sure. For but sure. I like the flying fox b- besides its size. And I know you'll get get more into that in a little bit. It's also just, just really kind of cool to look at. It's big. It's got a furry face and it's also known as, uh, what's considered a, a mega bat. And, right. and where a lot of bats are what they are termed micro bats. And there's, yeah, really- so it'd be good. Uh, it'd be a good spot. Maybe you can jump, you know, jump in a bit, you know, get in the description of them. But yeah, explain what is the difference between a mega and a micro bat. Cause I think that that's a great way to, to kind of start people in their minds, start kind of separating these animals out. Sure. I mean, it was, these were new terms for me when I started researching bats, but just generally speaking, mega bats are consistent of flying foxes or fruit bats and they eat fruit or nectar from fruit. And the, probably the biggest difference between megabats or flying foxes and most all the other species of bats or microbats is that megabats have a really powerful sense of smell and really good eyes, mm-hmm. really big eyes, like those German shepherd puppies. Aww. We need like an awe yeah, button. Yeah, so cute. Uh, I know. They're so cute. Mm-hmm. But the difference is, is microbats use echolocation. And mm-hmm. we all have learned growing up from science classes or movies or whatever that bats use this echolocation to help find right. their prey. 
which is true in most species of bats, the insectivores. Right. However, megabats or the flying foxes don't use that. Wow. So, yeah, so they don't really echolocate at all. No, huh? there's one species it does. It's called the Egyptian fruit bat. It's an exception. Mm. But the form of echolocation that it uses is nowhere as near as sophisticated as what microbats use or the bats we have here in North America. Right. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, sitting here thinking about bat, you know, I'm going to get into some, a little bit of bat evolution, thinking about how the bigger bats don't echolocate, right? Mm -hmm. So they're probably, you know, hunting strategies. So they wouldn't, even if they could echolocate, they're probably not fast enough to catch insects where these little micro bats just zip around the the sky. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And then, and then just generally, um, these megabats or flying foxes that, all live in the old world tropics. They don't hibernate where micro microbats will go into some form of hibernation mm-hmm. and dep- or not all species, but some of them. And then the megabats right, right. have a, an ex- like an extra hook claw, uh, probably for helping mm-hmm. to grasp the fruit. So yeah, just a few, right, a few, right. a few differences. So uh, at your next uh, cocktail party, you guys can talk about the difference yeah. between <laughs> be the coolest yeah. person yeah. in the room. I'm um, talking about microbats and megabats. Although you would, if you, uh, I need to talk to my my four year old Xander about this because he's really into Batman. So he would probably, yeah, he would probably really enjoy this episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's and it's crazy because I I know later in the show you know, maybe Luby is one of your organizations, but Luby Bat Foundation is right outside Gainesville, and you know I've gotten a, a personal tour, private tour. I know you have been there every year. They they have stuff around Halloween. I wish we would have done this episode before that because. I want to go back there and I know they're doing, they're working with some of the most endangered bats in the world, but I know looking at these, you know, fruit bats or flying foxes, I just have such a great appreciation now for them well, after reading all this mm-hmm. stuff. And that's one of the reasons why I picked them was because of this, uh, Luby Conservation Center right. for bats that surprise, surprise is one of my, one of the organizations yeah. I'll be talking about a little bit later. Good. But yes, I've been there multiple times and I just, I, they're, I just love their flying fox exhibits and I read like, everything they have to say about them. And they, right. they do a lot of really cool, non-invasive research there to learn more about their behavior because little is known about them in the, in the wild. Right. So yeah, right. they're definitely one of, they're definitely a bat hero internationally in the industry. Yeah. They're great. They're great. And next time I go back there, Chris, maybe I can, um, I can put you on like FaceTime video so we can, we can walk, yeah. we can walk through <laughs> together since you have that high fiber internet there and uh, down yeah. in New Zealand, yeah. <laughs> you're all, you're all fancy. Suckers. Now. <laughs> I know, I know. 100 megs per second Jeez. compared to the uh, the crud I had back in the States. All right, so flying foxes. Uh, like you said, size, wingspan's almost five feet. So a little yes, bit shorter and, and than you. The, mm-hmm, and some of the larger ones, yes. Yeah, like one and a half meters, just huge, huge wingspan. Coats, like I think the German Shepherd puppy's perfect. But they, the reddish brown, reddish gray, or even black brown, you know, looking at all the different subspecies of them. You know, trying to, to trying to look, and then again, they just have those two short ears and large eyes that make them look like foxes. You know, mm-hmm. thus the name. Now, like Angie said, these are old world bats, so they're only found in parts of Africa, so Eastern Africa, uh, running into India, Southeast Asia, Indonesia, Australia, big populations there, and then some of the Pacific Islands have 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 them. So none in New Zealand. No, no, and we're going to get to New okay. Zealand and, and our bat problem because we only actually only have one species of bat left. You know, we lost oh, uh, one of the other ones. Okay. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. So in the flying foxes, 
again, you know, going into bats overall, there's 16 major families of bats, and flying foxes are part of these mega bat family. To get to some of the numbers, like I, I said earlier, just wow on how many of these things are, are threatened with extinction. Scientists estimate there's over 1,200 species of bats, and of course, we're still discovering new species here and there, so there may be a little bit more than that. Which, interestingly enough, Chris, as far as bats go, the 1,200-plus species, they compromise about 20% of all classified mammals worldwide. Wow. So it's a big chunk of mammals. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah. I didn't really think about that. You're right. You're right. Because it's, you know, there are so many of them and so many different subspecies. Uh, At least right now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So then if you break it down, 26 are right now critically endangered, meaning they're, they're heading towards extinction or they're already extinct. We just haven't fully classified them as extinct yet. 52 are endangered, and then 954 are threatened with extinction. So they're heading, trending downward, right? Populations are trending Mm -hmm. downward. So almost every bat species on Earth, with exception of of a very few, is threatened with extinction. So I just read that and looking at the IUCN stats, and I was just like, are you got to be kidding me? Like, I really, you know, since we've done this, and I know... I'm doing a lot of research and, and reading, you know, each week now that, you know, when my kids are, you know, off playing somewhere and I, I get a few minutes uh, to look some things up and I'm really looking at these mass extinction statistics and I, next to amphibians, bats are the next thing that I'm like, holy smokes, we're in big trouble. We're in big trouble. Yes, Chris. No. And it's, it's a problem for so many reasons that we don't have mm-hmm. necessarily on this individual podcast, the ability to get into. But as far as bats go, like I said, comprising about 20% of mammals in general, bats, yes, I think these flying foxes are cute and there's lots of stories and myths about them, which I'll touch on in a little bit. But there's some really, 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 just to stress it, important reasons to conserve bats. Yep. Which we're not, we're trying to do, but we're not doing very well overall. Mm-hmm. And so there's... About four or five super important reasons. And I'm just going to run through them really quick to give you the bullet list. But it's important to know that bats act as pest control because Mm -hmm. they're insectivores. They act as pollinators because a lot of them feed on nectar. So they move pollen from one flower or plant to the next. They act as seed dispersal for the Mm fruit-eating bats. And their feces, guano or bat droppings, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of, Mm. is a really valuable and rich source of natural fertilizer. Mm -hmm. And just in general, because of all of these things, they're known as a keystone species, which we've talked about before, that they help determine how healthy or unhealthy an ecosystem is with their Mm -hmm. if they're able to survive or not. So those are the general bullet points of why we should conserve them. I'm going to dive a little bit deeper because uh, I'm I'm a farmer's daughter and I'm right. proud of that. I grew up in the farming industry, and but these statistics I was unaware of. So moving back to bats as a pest control agent, the insectivore bats, which primarily insects at nighttime mm-hmm. or night flying insects, right? A pregnant or nursing mother of these bat species can consume up to their body weight in insects each night. Okay. So that's wow. a lot of bats. 
So yeah, I mean, so some of them that's almost like what? Well, I mean they're less than a pound, but a pound of insects. Exactly. That's, that's insane. In, that's incredible. Okay. Oh and my god. So thinking about agriculture and why this I bring this up is it's right. been es- it's been estimated, Chris, that bats can save the agricultural industry in the United just in the U.S. Okay, that's where the stats right. are coming out of. Anywhere from three point seven billion to fifty three billion per year. Okay. So mm-hmm. 3.7 billion to 53 billion per year in pesticides and helping the crops use less pesticides with the bats controlling the insects. Okay. So it's, and just to kind of uh, follow up with that, it's not just an economical consideration, which is huge because, you know, being a farmer's daughter, you, you know, farming, you don't get rich. You're, most right. farmers are not rich. They're, right. they're eking out a living, most of them. You know, not these factory farms, blah, blah, blah. We don't need to go into that. But it's not just the economical savings. It's less pesticides. That is the big thing. Exactly. Less poisons. Or even if you're using these natural herbicides, you know, you're, we're, we're taking care of our food and less chemicals. Sure. And farmers don't want to use pesticides in general because that's not good for the environment and they cost the farmer yeah, a lot of money. Yeah. They're one of our, they're one of the biggest costs for my yeah. family farm. And so if we can use more of these bats to do the work for us, you know, why the heck not? In that's fact, it. in Mexico, Sorry, I don't mean to, to, to jump in again real quick. This makes, you know, and, and I'm just brainstorming right here. Maybe, you know, we can notch this, you know, for later for me and you to investigate. Maybe we should be pushing farmers to build bat houses, you know, build bat houses. Seriously. Absolutely. You know, that mm-hmm. would help. There's yeah. new, uh, yeah, no, I saw, um, a company the, the, a few weeks ago that will basically ship you a really big and a really awesome bat house that you can construct on your property. Yeah. So maybe we'll have to put those up on our, sh- yeah, on our show. Yeah. Yeah. That's something we should be pushing. But, okay. Sorry. No, but it's, um, it's, I mean, for instance, the Mexican free tail bat in Texas, it eats this corn earworm moth mm. and just this bat alone in Texas. It's estimated that it saves farmers an economic value of a billion dollars wow. a year. Wow. A billion yeah. dollars a year. And that's just in the U.S. So, sure. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I think it's just something that I hadn't really put two and two together of how much hard work these bats are doing, uh, especially like the insectivores. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and just something that yeah, I feel like there must be a way for us to work together and there could be a huge collapse if we lose these guys. Oh yeah, that's where it's like I was just, you know, next to the amphibians, which are in di- worse straits, I guess, more dire straits than than bats. You know, and they're such an important part of the food chain or food web. Bats are another key, like you said, keystone species. And just looking at the uh, 65 species of flying foxes, half are endangered, classified as endangered. And some that have gone extinct is the uh, small uh, Mauritian flying fox that went extinct in the 1800s. The dusky flying fox went extinct in the late 1800s, and that was in Australia. The large Palau uh, flying fox, late 1800s on on that island. And then one recent, and this is where we get some data uh, of recent impacts because it is a U.S. territory, and that's Guam. And the Guam fruit Mm. bat went extinct in the early 1970s. And so later, you know, I'm going to kind of sum up what are some of the things they're, they're seeing, uh, with that. Now, uh, again, we're going to touch a little bit more on, on conservation towards the end, getting back into kind of specifically flying fox and this bat species. The 
it's really interesting looking at their evolution, you know, and I'm just going to kind of, again, cliff nose version of this bat evolution. They stretch about 52 million years is mm-hmm. the first indication of, of bats. And like I said, I was, you know, and, and maybe some of these factoids will leak out over the few coming pods because I'm really looking, researching the mass extinctions that have gone on. And, you know, the end of the, the KPG extinction, the 65 million years ago, the fifth mass extinction, the non-avian dinosaurs went extinct. The avian, the only avian dinosaurs to come out were birds. So a lot of Mm -hmm. the other ones did die out, uh, Mm -hmm. but birds did come out of that. And then the mammals survived and obviously some, some reptiles and things like that. So the flying mammal, Really, there was nothing before the fifth mass extinction in the geological record. What's interesting about bat evolution is it's hard to trace because their bones are so brittle. Right. right? I was reading that they're very delicate and skeletons of the bats just don't generally fossilize well. In Mm -hmm. fact, I read somewhere it was estimated that only 12% of bat species that lived have ever been found in in the fossil record. Right, so right. And yeah. They, and that makes sense. They're making a I mean, lot of guesses. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes sense because they're, they're flying mammal, right? So they can't have these big, heavy set bones. You know, it's mm-hmm. too much weight and they can't fly with that. So the earliest fossil dates back 52 million years and it is Onicon Terrace Finnegi. Hey, I did it. Nick, That wasn't too bad. It was a little, <laughs> it was a little painful to listen to. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Just kidding. Thanks a lot. I'm going to stop. <laughs> Stop recording. Why? No, you, no, no you're gonna, you're gonna make me start saying them, and that's when we're gonna have real problems, cause I have Ani the Kateris worst. Uh, okay. Yeah, that one's pretty big. Big better. mouthful. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. But they didn't really think they could really sustain flight. They fluttered, gl- they gliding, you know, so thinking about evolution and, you know, these adaptations that help them, they really think it, it helped them escape predators, things like that, mm-hmm. so. But yet didn't develop echolocation. That was what was interesting. They didn't have the ear bones uh, that they they did. So they describe it more as flying foxes. Okay. So I kind of think, you know, flying foxes are linked to the el- oldest bat species. You know, reading about some of the evolution, like, okay, I'm thinking, like, why did these animals just all of a sudden want to start flying? And they think that they were kind of slower and they were these sit-and-wait predators. And then when – their prey came around, they wrapped their arms around them mm. and ate them or, you know, grabbed an insect or, or grabbed, uh, I don't think they ate mammals or anything. They don't, they're not meat eaters per se. So over time, you know, say someone like your cousin, if he had webbed <laughs> fingers and were out in the Chris, wild. It was his toes. Okay. It wasn't that weird. Was, okay. But- was, and I think it was like only like three toes. <laughs> That's okay. It's okay. I've heard of that before. But think of somebody if we're out in the wild with webbed fingers and we eat insects and they could grab insects a lot easier with webs, right? Absolutely. So those people would be more successful and plus they'd get more of the the hotties because people think how cool they are with their webbed fingers. Ah, yes. And they would breed and pass on their genetics, right? Oh, we'll get into some of that in uh, in, in, uh, breeding (laughs) behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so that's where they think they started developing these membranes. Then they could glide almost like sugar gliders today Mm -hmm. and then develop the ability to fly. Now, the flying foxes specifically, some of this data is, again, hard because there's not a rich fossil record but they think they emerged about 14 million years ago, Southeast Asia, and the current species today 
about eight million years. So they've been around for a while. Sure. I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty old species on earth. The only relative I was like looking up, okay, where's the biggest bat ever found? <laughs> and I love this. You're so good at this part. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, that giant saber tooth cat, the size of a horse. Oh my God. Um, so where do you think they found this huge walking bat? If you had to guess anywhere in the world. Hmm. I'm all, I'm going to guess, I'm going to take the easier out. I'm going to guess, uh, North America. Cause it seems like a lot of weird. No. no? Okay. No. Um, no. <laughs> a lot of weird stuff Walking. Ha- happens in North America way back in the day. And, and actually, <laughs> still does. I was gonna say, <laughs> actually, actually right now as we speak. Um, yes. okay. So I, uh, second guess, um, walking. I mean, you know, it walks, it can't fly okay, really. Africa. Where would they be safe? Where would they be safe? Um, Where would they be safe? Do I need to to, to show my camera outside I, to give sure, you a clue? Sure, can you? Can we, yeah, this is a really horrible game of like charades. Uh, <laughs> Australia. Look outside my window. New Zealand. Look, New Zealand. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Thank you for the charades. So Point yeah, out your window. <laughs> <laughs> New Zealand, because New Zealand actually has a lot of uh, wildlife, birds specifically, that are flightless. Oh, cool! Because there's no right. predators. So think about it. A walking bat is lunch for a honey badger. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't survive there. I or, would say an appetizer, the, but yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, same thing. North America, but in New Zealand, a lot of these species evolved not to fly because yeah, they didn't need to, really. So this was right. kind of a glider. Didn't really have sustained flight. So this was over 16 million years ago. Mystacina myosinalis. Okay. Beautiful. So they were, they were almost twice as heavy as flying foxes. Not quite... They didn't have like a 12 foot wingspan. Their wingspan was probably like six feet out of the one thing I want to say, maybe this would be a good segue into humans of the 1200 bat species. Only three suck on blood or are considered carnivorous. Right. So really the myths of bats being these evil things is just a bunch of hooey. Sure. Sure. And and a lot of it's propagated just by our culture and, and, you know, in Europe and North America, bats are associated with, Darkness and witchcraft and death and um, spooky, eerie things like vampires. But in other countries, for instance, in China, bats are often associated with happiness, joy, and good fortune. So it does depend on what your back, you know, what native region you're looking at to see how what how you've been exposed to bats. But I know we grew up always fearing bats or thinking, you know, and growing up. There was a bat in our house and like my mom, yeah. bless her heart, mom, I love you. And just for the record, uh, for all my listeners out there, my mom loves the podcast. However, Chris, she says we talk too fast. <laughs> and, I, so, and I told her, Angie. I, I know it's, it's only because I'm so excited. So I'm, know, try, I'm trying to slow it down for my mom. Okay, However, sorry, mom, we'll do it. sorry, mom, working on it. Uh, it's, it's a work in progress, but yeah, but there, no, there was a bat that came from our attic and it was like all H-E double L hockey sticks broke loose. And I, you know, <laughs> you're six years old and you see your mom freaking out and you freak out too. And, um, and so I think that that's, and then of course in movies and cinema and, and then people worried about the diseases they can trans, right. transmit. So they, they have an uphill battle, kind of like sharks, you know, they're just notorious, yeah. they're just notorious bad guys. Um, but yeah. more specifically with the flying fox, They've been traditionally, in general, just regarded as pests uh, mm-hmm. because they make a lot of noise. Uh, they can contaminate and defecate and urinate in water supplies. 
They, of course, sometimes raid fruit orchards and a lot of places just generally don't like them. And different parts of the world too, uh, flying foxes know that humans don't like them and they'll often squeal with displeasure when they see a human present. So there's kind of this human fruit bat or flying right. fox bat, uh, conflict that's, that right. goes on depending on which, depending on the different countries. And mm. what's really interesting is, uh, in Australia, um, the Kiwis, bless their hearts, they, the 19th. 19- no, 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 no. <laughs> not going to well, stop you. Well, New Zealand is the Kiwis. Okay. Oh, is it really? Yeah. They're the, they're the wallabies. Oh, they're okay. the kangaroos okay. and the, the koalas. Yeah. No okay. way. Okay. Kiwi. Ah. Okay. That's okay. Zealand. Got it. See, looking at, <laughs> we're all learning here, right? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I think that, I mean, I think it's hilarious, but yeah, there's something, uh, between the Kiwis and, uh, Aussies with that. So anyway, that's so funny. Well, um, yeah. yes. Sorry if I offended any New Zealanders out there, but <laughs> I, I learned a lot and it's burned in my mind and I'll never do that again. So anyway, <laughs> um, but no, but interestingly enough, so Australia, the Aussies, um, yes. In the 1920s, they brought in a, a British biologist to kind of look into the, the flying fox or the fruit bat situation in their commercial fruit crops. And they, mm-hmm. and they wanted this guy to help them figure out how to eliminate them or call them, if you will. And so this guy's studying them and, and studying them. And then you got, you got to love science because his research proved that the assumptions of the flying fox is a menace to the commercial fruit industry is definitely false. And that the loss of commercial fruit to the crop is so negligible that it's almost trifling, mm-hmm. to use his words, end, end quote. And, and, he, and then he found, yeah, he found out that, honestly, that the most, most of the damage being done to the fruit was by monkeys. Um, and that, yeah. and that they were the culprits and that these poor flying foxes were being, you know, hunted and called inaccurately. Like, and I just, sorry to jump in, it's cause I mean, I get my elephant plug in, but, Hearing that, it made me think of Alan Savory, who in, um, I think it was Angola or, uh, South, uh, Southwest Africa. And he went in and said, Oh, the elephants are, you know, causing desertification. You need to call all your elephants because they're, they're ruining the environment. They, they go in and slaughter 40,000 yeah. elephants. Oh, and then years later, he comes back and says, oops, made a mistake. It was because desertification actually picked up pace. Mm-hmm. The elephants were actually helping with seed dispersal mm-hmm. and helping sustain the environment. When you took the elephants away, then that, that environment just, it, it turned into a desert. Well, and that's, ex- and so, mm-hmm. and that's exactly it with these flying foxes yeah. is that, uh, okay, yes, they're going to eat some fruit here and there, but in the same instance, they're, mm-hmm. they're doing a lot of seed dispersal. Of course, the fruits yeah. now farming's a little bit more commercialized, but they eat fruits of the tropical trees in forests. So, mm-hmm. with all this habitat loss going on and deforestation, that keeping bats around will actually help new growth of uh, forestation as they're flying around dispersing right. their seeds. And they've shown that right. uh, areas that have a healthy fruit bat population, they have a lot more regrowth of their um, clear-cut forests. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, so I vote. To, yeah, I vote to piece. keep them. I vote to keep them. But there is, you know, unfortunately, yeah. there is this, um, this, this human flying fox conflict in, in some places and in, in, in some countries and in other countries like 
not the Kiwis, but in Australia, yeah. other countries, Australia, yeah. <laughs> other countries like the Aussies have taken a real stance and, um, they draw a pretty hard line and don't allow any, any illegal poaching of them. And it can, it can, it, right. if you do that, it'll put you in jail with some, some gnarly fines. Right. So yeah, different yeah. countries handle it differently. Uh, and, and some people are, some countries and some regions are, are taking note of, of how, how important yeah. they are both economically, but also to mm-hmm. the habitat. Into the environment. Right, right, yeah, and you know, just kind of jumping into how long these these things live, these creatures live. They they live about fifteen years in the wild, you know, so they've lived pretty long. This type yeah, of species or type mm-hmm, of animal. They've been up to twenty five years in a captive setting too, so even longer. Yeah. And yeah. it's really interesting, Chris, that bats in general, so micro bats and mega bats, their maximum lifespan is three and a half times longer than any other mammals. Of their size. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. Yeah, that's crazy. And there wow. was a yeah, and there yeah. was a male brant bat. I, I'm not sure. I think that's probably a, a micro bat, but it was recaptured in the wild after 41 years in the wild. Holy smokes! Wow. <laughs> so wow. Yeah, I think crazy. we're still learning a lot about them, but in general, yeah, they they have a pretty yeah. long life cycle for a mammal. Yeah, yeah. So the largest flying fox is Terrapus vampiris. So I heard that. I saw vampires. I'm like, what, vampire bat? I mean, these things don't suck blood at all, right? I mean, they don't. So it weighs uh, one and a half to two and a half pounds or almost a mm-hmm. kilogram. This is the five-foot wingspan. Their body is about 30 centimeters or a foot, foot long. And these are from mm. Indonesia. Okay. Now, I, like Angie said at the beginning, really some unique physiology. They hang and sleep upside down for, for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. That position is called roosting. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And they just hang there and they're, they're cool. And that's what most people look, you know, look up and see a fox or a fox, look up and see a, a flying fox or a bat hanging upside down. So they, uh, you know, we'll talk about here in a second how they do that. They wrap their wings around their bodies to warm themselves. And then during, which is cool. I've seen at Luby, you walk by and their wings are spread open when they're trying to sun themselves, you know, and, and get some warmth. And again, these are warm blooded. So they don't, they're not like reptiles where they need the sun. But you see them hanging and they'll, they'll flare their wings out. It's really, really cool. So how do the bats survive upside down? Get into that question. Because I was interested. I'm like, how the heck do they do that? If I do it, I'm dead. Oh, People die. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All that brain will pull in your blood. No, or, I try to do like blood. a handstand and yoga. Forget about it. Forget about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all that blood will pull in your brain because we have about two gallons of blood in our body. So when we're upside down, all of that blood pushes and rushes to our head, right? So that's where some people will pass out, and that's a body mechanism, so then maybe you'll become laying down. But if you're in sustained upside down, you will die. You know, you can die from that. But really, it's easy physics, is bats are so much smaller, and they have so much less blood that gravity doesn't affect it. So it doesn't rush to their head, which is really interesting. I'm like, do they have some countercurrent pump or something? No, it's just... They're small enough that the blood doesn't rush to the brains like it does for us. So it's just like a slow drip and their brain can deal with it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and they pump it and it's no no biggie. So I was thought that was, that was a simple answer, you know. Ackman's like, okay. razor. That's what Yeah. <laughs> there's like a theme. Word of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, word of the day. Okay, cool. And then, yeah, yeah. And then they have specialized tendons that kind of lock their toes in place. So they can hang indefinitely. They've actually, I read that they, one study, they actually found dead bats that were still hanging. Oh, it just locks them up there. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if they die. But yeah, I mean, getting into their behavior and their ecological role, I mean, I just, oh, they're so critical to what's going on. Oh, yeah. Um, looking at flying fox behavior, 
First, it's important to note that their social structure is typically in colonies. However, there are some that I found was really interesting that are solitary. They don't have the big colonies hmm. like you see with most flying foxes. Uh, for instance, it's, wow. yeah, it's called the Samoan flying fox out of the Samoan Islands. It's a solitary creature unless it's breeding. Hmm. But most of them are going to live in groups or these large colonies. And unlike their cousins, the microbats, they don't, they're not in caves or dark places. Uh, as you and I had mentioned mm-hmm. before, that we, in North America, we tend to like to have bat houses where bats will right. you know, go and hang out in colonies and then we can watch them fly away after dusk, which is one of my favorite activities to do here at, in Florida, in Gainesville, Florida, where I live. We have a really cool bat house on University of Florida. On their campus, it was established in 1991, and it's one, I think, I don't know if it still is, but for many years it held the title as the largest bat house in the country. And so. Yeah, and the other one, real quick, Austin is known, Austin, Texas is a big, big place if you ever want to see bats. Uh, under these bridges sure. and at night, there's usually thousands of people watch these bats. Yeah, I've seen those, out. those it's ones crazy. too there. Yeah. And seen the, walked under yeah. the guano. Yeah. <laughs> don't look uh, up with your but, mouth open, right? Yeah. Don't, yeah. No, no, no. Wear your goggles. Um, but, but collect some. It's really good fertilizer. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but typically the, the flying foxes are just going to be in trees and that's where they roost or hang upside down, uh, in that posture known as roosting. And, when they're in these large groups, I thought it was really kind of cool. It's called uh, camps. So flying foxes roost in trees in a group called camps, huh. to use it in a sense. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but unfortunately for these guys, it kind of makes them an easy target for hunters because mm-hmm. they're not in a cave or a bat house or under a bridge. They are like wide, out, out wide open in a tree. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly enough, some of the flying foxes will... Instead of being way out in the open, they'll try to hide behind leaves or build what they call like a leaf tent hmm. to try to at least hide a little bit, but not all the species do that. And their communication is one of the reasons that they've been known to be a pest because they're actually really noisy. Yeah. They have, during their feeding aggregations, they'll, you're just going to hear a lot of chirping and barking and howling. And a lot of this is even though they're used to their colony and their friends, they don't want to touch each other either when they're roosting or when they are, of course, on their fruit getting nectar. You know, it's like, this is mine. So they'll talk to each other, but it can be very loud and noisy. And their territorial behavior is just going to include them growling if you will, which is kind of funny to visualize. I mean, if you think of a fox. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Growling. And then, but then also spreading their wings to look bigger and tougher. And they may even, if the interaction accelerates, uh, uh, they might even do some thumb and wrist sparring mm-hmm. or make slightly louder vocalizations. Mm-hmm. And if you'll bear with me, I think I have something. So this is a vocalization of a gray-headed flying fox. They are from Australia. No, that's, that's, yeah, I can really hear that. I remember hearing some of that at Luby. So, so pretty complex, you know, vocalization. So how does that translate into, I guess, intelligence? Ooh, Chris, you asked my favorite question. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, it really, uh, as I've been doing 
these animals each week, I've just been learning. I'm always fascinated uh, about how intelligent they are and, but yet how little we know, if you will. And so I don't know, all you young budding animal behavior scientists out there uh, listening, hopefully there's lots of you, man, go, when you're in college, hit up your local biology professor and say, can I do a study on how intelligent animals are? Because Mm -hmm. interestingly enough, they are generally smart. Okay. That's just, I'll just generally, they exhibit curiosity to novel items or new items. And they also can recognize individual people who will enter their um, enclosures in a captive setting. But there's really not a lot of quantitative research. Okay. And so this is what Mm -hmm. I'm saying for, you know, and if there are any, any college students or even high school students out there listening, this young student at the university of Florida, I have to brag a little bit. Um, His name is uh, Nathan and he was working for um, a psychology professor named Dr. Clive Mm -hmm. Wynn. I think I'm saying that right here at UF. And this professor was super interested in, intelligence of animals, but he worked more with domestic animals, dogs, cats, Mm -hmm. and what have you. So him and Nathan somehow got together. Nathan was, I think, an undergrad. It was definitely an undergrad. Maybe I don't know if he was biology or what. And they decided Mm -hmm. to take some of their testing of domestics to Luby Conservation Center here um, in Gainesville. Mm -hmm. And they worked with the the scientists and zookeepers there to design a really well done, um, if I do say so myself, experimental design to test the intelligence, the social intelligence of flying foxes. I do not know which specific mm-hmm, mm-hmm. species, so unfortunately, right. I'll have to find that out. I'll have to ask that the next time I go there. But what they did is they designed a study where they made two bucket things that looked exactly the same that the bats had to go into to receive a fruit or and or nectar treat. And right. they found that the bats very, very readily were able to respond to a human pointing cue. Okay. And in huh. in the literature and animal behaviorist literature, when you point to an object mm-hmm. and so what this is called is this is human like social intelligence, cognition. Meaning that the bats were able to understand what the human was saying when he was pointing to the bucket that had the treat in it. And there was no other cue and no other way for the bat to know which bucket had the treat in it, except for when the researcher would point to it. And we all know they have dogs and and maybe even cats. We all know cats can be a little, you know, you know, snarky, but you know, if you, you (laughs) just a little, little. but you know, uh, um, you know that if you point somewhere to, for a dog, he's going to pick up that Cheerio. Like he know, like we have a comment, you know, they're tuned yeah, into yeah. us and it's, it's, it's on the higher level of intelligence. And so I think it was something right. like 80 or 90% of the bats instantly figured out like, okay, the human's showing me, showing me where to go. Where? Mm-hmm. Which is oh, that's really, cool. that's really cool. Yeah. It really hasn't been documented much yeah. in, uh, in, you know, definitely in, this is the first time ever in bats, but in right. not too much in exotic animals in general. So I think it goes to show there's a lot more research that needs to be done to see how their intelligence lies. And some people compare them right. even in, from evolutionary terms on, on a similar scale with some species of primate. 
So, right, right. I mean, there's, you know, they're definitely super cool creatures worth saving, you ask me. And then I just keep visualizing that cute little um, German Shepherd puppy flying fox-like thing. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. me pointing to the treats yeah. and it, like, chirping and loving me. Um, obviously, nobody, yeah. you know, I'm not a promoter of having bats as pets. We all know that. Um, God, but just no. trying to yeah. give people an idea that they're not these scary, blood-sucking things with no brains um they they not have a lot they have not a lot of feelings and a lot of um and a, and a lot of intelligence right right now jumping into nutrition i mean it's very simple they all species of flying foxes they only eat some fruit obviously because they're fruit bats too uh, nectar blossoms and pollen which you know kind of goes into conservation on why they are so important again angie was talking about seed dispersal uh, pollinating plants you know it's not just like everybody's concerned about honeybees you know that's why we're here in new zealand because my wife's researching honeybees down here what you know these play a very very critical role and the reason flying foxes are in such trouble is again like angie said with deforestation because they need those trees for shelter and food and the trees are dependent on the foxes for seed dispersal and pollination. So it's this, you know, cohabitation that they both need each other. And without one or the other, the other species goes away. You know, you start collapsing that food web and that food chain. Now, Angie did go quite, quite a bit into how bats benefit us. Around the world, these flying foxes, again, are hunted for food. Deforestation. So one of the things is in Indonesia, uh, Southeast Asia, Palm oil is a, is a big booming business down there. So they're just clearing forests. And again, read up on orangutans and, and hopefully this year we can get to orangutans. You know, we, we really need to, to jump into another primate. They are in big trouble because they're losing their habitat. Right. And in this household, yeah, in our family household, we try to shop, uh, palm free oil. Um, right. which is hard. Yeah. It's not easy. Uh, but there's all sorts of apps out there yeah, it's and everything. everything, but for Halloween candy, we yeah. try to always do palm oil free and, uh, it's just something to be aware of. I mean, right. nobody's perfect. I definitely have some palm oil products in my house right now for sure. You can't, you can't be perfect with everything, but you can try and you can be, and be made, made aware of some of these crises. And Chris, that's really interesting. I've, I've, of course I've filed the orangutan crisis closely, but I didn't even right. put two and two together about the bats in the palm oil. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they're just losing uh, everything, and and this one, you know, not sp- specifically flying foxes, but bats in general. Wind farms, which, as we try to develop sustainable energy, you know, carbon neutral uh, energy, wind farms are killing a lot of birds I and know, bats. I don't. It makes me so sad. I'm like, why can't, we can't so, win? Can't we catch a break? <laughs> I know. I know. Uh. There, there's ways, there's things out there. We just sure. have to find them. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, it, there's no doubt. I mean, their decline is because of humans. I mean, it, there's just, there's no doubt. And the one is the Guam flying fox that I talked about earlier. You know, they, since they've been removed and there's really, it's invasive species, the, the brown snakes, mm-hmm. it's gone and just decimated the population of native species. Sure, on sure. Guam. Uh, yeah, the Guam rail is a bird species we should cover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was, is yeah. functionally yep. extinct in the wild, but through captive breeding yep. efforts has uh, a lot of their, some of their populations rebounded. Yeah, yeah. It's, so Guam, the, the biome on Guam's collapsing. Oh, yeah. I mean, they just, yeah, I mean, native plants, they're, one study I read cited there's 40 times more spiders on Guam compared to their nearby islands. So oh, if you like spiders, go to Guam. There's plenty of them. 
So yeah, the balance of nature is out of whack and, and we're seeing the consequences there. So I just, I cannot say this enough. Uh, you know, and if you get anything out of this podcast, it's not so much how cool flying foxes are. It's just bats are so critical to the cog. I, I call them a cog in the machine of nature. Like Angie called them a keystone species. They, we, we got to talk about these guys more. They're just, they're in big trouble. And I think if we let a lot of bat species go extinct, we're going to be in big trouble. And I just looked at, you know, what are the most endangered bats? And some of these have already gone extinct. Like the, the, the Christmas Island pupistrel, that bat's been declared extinct last year. The sheath tailed bat has been declared extinct. And then the New Zealand greater short tailed bat. So that one went extinct. The, now the lesser short-tailed bat, and I got to give a shout out to my new friends here. I, I have two new friends that are working in conservation. Ah, Chris is Jesse making and, friends. Yay. Yeah. That's pretty easy. You're, you're a pretty friendly guy. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. The, Jesse's awesome. He's amazing. Uh, we're actually going to go catch cricket. Are you guys going on a man? So, yeah. Oh, you're going on a mandate. Yeah. Ooh, the pressure's cricket. on. That's awesome. <laughs> Fun. So I got to give a sh- to his, shout out to his girlfriend, Bryn. She just two weeks ago, just two weeks ago, and and she she did this on her own. She looked up who was doing bat research. She Jesse was driving home, and New Zealand's very. You get outside the towns, it's pretty mm-hmm. remote. And she just she had her GPS out. She told Jesse where to go. She's like, "Drop me off." She waved, gave him a hug, a kiss, whatever, and off he went. She just left her in the middle of nowhere, and she knew where she was. And she went and met this bat researcher, and so they were catching and tagging bats, uh, these lesser short-tailed bats. So the New Zealand government is working really hard that this is one of their priorities is to save the cool. species of bat. So yes. that's good. We love when the government gets on board. It makes it not perfect, but better. No, and that's, you know, part of this, Angie, you know, you've already alluded to it. We talked about the palm oil. So my conservation tip of the week was just, you can use sustainable palm oil. There is apps out there. The, uh, uh, I think it's the Columbus Zoo. One of the zoos, uh, and had put out an ethical palm oil app. So you can check to see if, if that's coming from somewhere where they haven't clear cutted, you know, native ha- habitat for some of these species. Or like Angie said, there's ones that you can use that, you know, to eliminate palm oil. But I think if we start voting with our dollar, you know, we're going to let companies know that we care about the environment and sustainability. And, and so they're going to be, yeah, we need to make it like stuff. cool to be sustainable palm oil. Like that's, that's the goal. Yeah. Um, and yeah. just, and be aware and, and get right. people talking about it and having some of these conversations because a lot of people don't put two and two together. The palm oil has anything to do with orangutans no. or with flying foxes. Right, right, right. So who should we be supporting this week? I know we've already been talking about Luby. Chris, my first shout out for my conservation organization of the week has to go to Luby Bat Conservancy. And Yay. that's, I know, right? We love them. Just we down the road them. in Gainesville, yeah. Florida. And so Luby is L-U-B-E-E. And you can find them, of course, on the internet or they have a wonderful Facebook page. Like them, be friends with them. They're really awesome. And what their goal is, is they're an international nonprofit organization dedicated to saving bats. Of course, they use research, conservation, and education, and they always focus on community engagement, which we're really lucky to know that because they engage in our community. And we're really lucky here in Gainesville that we get to have a lot of their community out, output and engagement because we get to visit their facility. What Luby is is a research and conservation breeding center that houses over 200 fruit bats, obviously some flying fox species. Mm-hmm. And they have lots of goals. They like to use many 
cross-disciplinary studies, and they use collaborative research on bat biology and ecology, and they promote and train scientists. So that's how they get hooked up with a lot of these undergrads and or professors at different universities. And they study bat biology, genetics, physiology, and ecology. And they, Mm -hmm. they're the ones that did, that helped host that really cool study about the intelligence of flying foxes, that they're as intelligent, if not more than your dog or have some similarities to it. And then of course they like to transfer knowledge about bats and bat, uh, bat conservation through informal science educations. So I highly recommend you check out their webpage. When I moved to Gainesville, yes. it was one of my one of my happiest moments and surprises was learning about this yeah. institute. And of course, they yeah. my husband works with them a lot through uh, Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo. So right. it's just great partnerships, and they do a lot, and they have beautiful flying foxes that you can check out on their website. And my second organization is of the week is focusing more on flying foxes themselves. So mm-hmm. there's a group out there called Flying Fox Conservation Fund dot com. They also have a Facebook presence and they're also they're also a nonprofit organization and they're I picked them because they're solely dedicated to protecting old world fruit bats or flying foxes mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and their habitat through conservation education and research. And they target con- uh, research in countries such as Indonesia the Solomon Islands, Madagascar, and Sulawesi. Oh, see, this is why I don't pronounce yeah, things. Okay. Sulu- yeah, yeah. Anyways, I'm. It's somewhere there. Somewhere, <laughs> somewhere over there, <laughs> where where yeah. flying foxes live. But they do really cool field programs. They work with biology students in um, out of Sumatra, and they want to help open more fruit bat rescues and rehabilitation centers, and some of these islands where they're highly endangered. And they also like, they're working on um, having more education campaigns in the Solomon Islands um, because a lot of times there they're hunted and sold as meat and mm-hmm. they, and mm-hmm. a lot of the species are highly endangered and need a lot of immediate action. So yeah, I really recommend checking out Flying Fox Conservation Fund. Yeah. They do really unique things and they're actually based out of Chicago, interestingly enough. So oh, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, their webpage has Tons of information. Of course, you can donate and or, mm-hmm. or contact them if you have more specific questions that we weren't able to answer today. Uh, because the gentleman that runs that organization is, uh, you know, he's kind of a world-renowned specialist in the flying fox. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, so you know, thank you for for sticking with us today, just for us. So I just tried to think, you know, uh, give us an idea of some species you want to cover. I mean, Angie and I have a million that we'd love to cover and we have uh, some really cool ones coming up for you, but give us an idea, you know, you know, uh, post on our Facebook page, some things you may, Ooh, you may Chris, like, let, we'll we may le- just put we'll out a poll. A little, yeah. Well, a poll is yeah. a great idea. A little teaser is the yeah, um, yeah. species we'll be covering soon is um, a pick from my four year old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> don't give it, don't give it away. Don't, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. If you can guess it, what we should do something like if they can guess, uh, if they away. listen to an old S yeah. If they listen to an old episode where I know I mentioned that this is what my four year old wanted to do. And Chris and mm-hmm. I decided it was great to do it. Um, we will give you, I, we don't really have anything to give <laughs> yet besides yeah. our love, but we, <laughs> we're we would, poor. <laughs> we will give you our shout out, a shout out. Yeah. If you, if you want to email yeah, us or sure. write us and guess what next week's species will be, uh, that'd yeah. be really cool. But no, a poll is a, a really great idea, Chris, because, yeah. um, for you and I, we're, uh, we're kind of excited about everything, which is why I talk so yeah. fast. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry, mom. Sorry, mom. <laughs> Love you, mom. 
So anyway, subscribe, rate, and review. You know, if you haven't yet, but thank you so much. We love that we have a following and we're just going to keep doing this every day. Like we're fighting for bats. We're fighting for ferrets. We're fighting for the vaquita porpoise, fighting for those frogs. I'm fighting for elephants. Angie's fighting for rhinos. Uh, yeah, Niaga's fighting for catball langers. Susan's for the, the Amazon river dolphins. Aaron for the polar bears. We love these people. We love you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for your time. Listen. Learn. Share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.